Okay, I'm going to walk us through just a little bit of a quick overview. Somebody tell me what chapter 1 was about. Hebrews chapter 1. What would we get from Hebrews chapter 1? Anybody? Sorry? Okay, Christ is better. That's probably, that's probably the top. Anything else that comes to your mind about that particular chapter? I'm sorry? Okay. Chapter, chapter 1, chapter 2. What do we see in chapter 2? Okay, danger and drifting. And we talked a little bit about how that could happen. How, could, how can we drift? Is that something we just say, oh, look, he's drifting. Is that how we usually see that happen? Is that how it transpires? Slowly. Okay, slowly. Very slowly. Sometimes you can look back and maybe see somebody who's, you know, you think about even a brother, unfortunately, a brother or sister in Christ. Think about somebody who's, you know, we, we, we may not see, we not, they're not with us. And then eventually they're not with us a lot. And then, but that didn't usually start just automatically. That didn't just start immediately. And I think that's the reason I think it's important we realize even in our study and being here this morning with one another. It gives us the benefit to be with each other, to help each other, to recognize Maybe deficiencies, deficiencies that each of us might have, something that may be lurking. But how would we know that? How would we know that about someone? You know, we can sit beside a brother or sister this morning in this audience. But how would we know their situation or their life? By knowing them. That's right. I didn't hear you, Leanne. I apologize. Appreciate that. Absolutely. Chapter 3, we're going to begin this morning. Um, I'm about, I'm, I'm, I'm a chapter behind from what I actually passed the syllabus out to you. Um, I think part of my, again, I've, I've said this a couple of times, but I think I went a little bit long on my introduction, and that's it's kind of put me there. But uh, I think I see some spots where I might be able to gain ground throughout the study. So at some point, and who knows, maybe it'll be the, maybe it'll be the, last, the last class. But anyway, um, we're going to get into some, some even stronger meat, I think, with this book as we move along. Um, some of the things that we're into right now, we're laying a lot of good groundwork as far as what this writer wants these readers to see and understand and apply to their lives. Um, so, chapter three. As I, as I, as we, as we kind of, as we open chapter three, and we look at this first word that we see in verse one. Somebody tell me when we see that word, what's that telling us to do? to things that have already been discussed. Okay. To see and look at things that have already been discussed. 
So when we see, therefore, I'm going to just back up. And I'm not going to go through all of that in chapter 2. But, you know, if we look at the last three or four verses that we see again, when we recognize Jesus and we recognize his attributes and the things that this writer, I think, is trying to continue to show and build that superiority mind frame, that, 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 that frame of mind that, uh, we should, that we should have, that these readers that he, uh, that he is speaking to, that he's preaching to, I think that it's important that they understand that. Verse 17 of chapter 2, Therefore he had been made like his brethren in all things, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make propitiation. And we talked about propitiation. In other words, he was the one who could appease God's anger. He could set that aside. He could actually bring that under control and suppress that. Uh, for the sins of the people because of who he was, his nature. For since he himself was tempted in that which he has suffered, he's able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. And I think it's, it's important that we realize that uh, just exactly what his attributes and what his capabilities, his characteristics are. So as we start here and looking at, again, talking about Jesus being our high priest, it says, Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of a heavenly calling, consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession. He was faithful to him who appointed him as Moses also in all his house. I'm going to go back up to verse 1, kind of, kind of pick it apart a little bit to where I think we, can, we need to see some of the things that he brings out in this particular verse. Holy brethren, therefore holy brethren. You know, he's, he's talking about this and he looks at these individuals as, as, holy, as his brethren, as those that are like precious faith, partakers of a heavenly calling. How would these Jewish Christians, how would they look at a heavenly calling. Okay. They were they they have they have responded to the gospel, and he's again. I think you know when when we're looking at individuals who are either slipping away, going back into potentially going back into Judaism, or suffering persecution, again, this writer continues to build and talk to them about who they are and why is that important. We think about us as Christians. Why is that important when we think about our walk in life? If we embrace that and we truly see what we should be as Christians— and that's what I think this, this writer is trying to bring out to them. You're my holy brethren. You're partakers of a heavenly calling. You have put Christ on. Don't forget that. Remember who you are. Consider Jesus. We think about that word consider. What do you think about when you think about the word? If you consider something 
You know, you're gonna, you, you want to go buy something or you're looking to buy a new car, new truck. What do you consider? What does consider mean in that realm? I heard something. Okay. Thought process. What else are we doing when we consider something? Okay. You're evaluating it. What else? Sorry? Cost. Okay. Cost. Value. Value. Okay. Research. You contemplate it. I mean, many times, if we're going to go out and spend several, several hundred thousands of dollars, do we just jump right in and do that? I mean, this is a little different scenario, but the same principle, I think, when we think about Jesus and what he says to them, holy brethren, partakers of a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, consider him. And who is he? The apostle. What's an apostle? One cent. The apostle, one cent. Um, think about uh, John 17, verse 3. Jesus says, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. And high priest of our confession. We've, we've opened the door. We've introduced, we've, we've introduced Jesus as, as the high priest. Um, and I, and, I, and I want us to think about, again, throughout this book, um, we're, we're going to really start delving into who he was and the significance of him versus the old law. Again, how this writer continues to build on uh, Jesus and the fact that not only is he better, he's superior in every way. He is the, the ultimate. And Throughout the book of Hebrews, throughout the book of Hebrews, this writer will continue to bring, bring out, again, attributes of Jesus throughout the book of, throughout the book of Hebrews to show what, uh, that Jesus is our high priest, the high priest of our confession. What's our confession? The Christ. The confession. And it says that, number verse 2, he was faithful to him who appointed him. Who was faithful to who? The son was faithful to the Father. That's right. Jesus was faithful to the Father, to God, who appointed him, as Moses also was in all his house. So we see, we see here that Christ is the faithful apostle, high priest of his house. Christ is the builder of his house. Let's go on down here as we look in, in verses 2 and 3. For he has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses by just so much as the builder of the house has more honor than the house itself, than the house itself. We're starting to get into uh, to a... To a section where the writer now is talking about Christ and his superiority over Moses. Why would that be significant? We just talked about Christ. You know, when we think about verse 1 of, of Hebrews chapter 1, we think about that period of time, the, God spoke to the fathers how? Through the prophets. 
And then we see as we get in to chapter one and chapter two that he begins to show the superiority of Christ over angels. And when we recognize how these, 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 these listeners, as he, as he continues to preach to these, to these Christians, they would have looked at angels as basically practically second to God. They didn't see Jesus in that light. But here again, we recognize as we get into chapter 3 that this writer continues now to build upon the fact that Christ is superior to Moses. Why would he need to do that? I think we got a microphone coming there, Lee, and it helped me to hear you better. Okay. In the Hebrew tradition, Moses is considered to be one of the founding fathers of the old law, and and Moses is considered to be up there with like Abraham. So it would be important for them to know that Christ was above Moses because um, they would have put Moses on very high esteem. Okay. And 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 actually. She said a word. She said a name. We think about Abraham. Uh, Moses would have been looked at as a very high, prominent individual in the eyes of these of these these Jewish Christians. These Christians that have come and and again have embraced and have accepted and have named the confession of Christ, Jesus Christ, being their Savior. But what's in the back of their mind when it comes to the things that they're used to and the things that they still, in some ways, may try to embrace and hold on to or revert back to? This writer is in power. I mean, he is trying to really lay it out there for them to recognize that that's not the move. You know, to go back to that particular system, and if you're leaning in that direction— it's failure, and he wants them to understand that. Christ is the only place that they're going to find true, actual, true salvation. They're going to be able to, for, in, as long as they would embrace that. I think it's important that we see here, and I'm, I'm going to move on down here just for the sake of time. We think about he's been counted worthy uh, of more glory than Moses, and we talk about the builder of the house has much more honor than the house. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which were to be spoken later. So I think if we, if we consider, you know, Christ is God's son. He's the builder of what Moses had proclaimed. You think about Moses' testimony. He had, you know, in, in Hebrews 10, verse, chapter 10 and verse 1, going to talk about how the testimony was a shadow of good things to come. And, we, and, and I think that's what bring, he's bringing out here, as, and he'll get, and we'll get into that later in, in other chapters. But uh, for a testimony of those things which were to be spoken of, to be spoken of later. And again, that's where that was building from that shadow of things to come. The Christ, that foundation of Christ being laid. 
Again, he goes back again into their minds to make them see that while Moses actually had, had done those things and, had, and, and was involved in that, but then we see that uh, those things are here now. Those things have come, we see in verse 1. You know, God talked about speaking to the prophets, by, you know, but now what's he do back in those days, in those latter days? But now, in this time frame, he speaks to us through his son. This is even more evidence of Christ's superiority. So, what does he say here when we look at verse 6? But Christ was faithful as a son over his house, whose house we are, if we hold fast our confidence and the boast of our hope firm until the end. I think when, we, when we're thinking about these six verses, we see that he, he, he this is kind of, a, I guess, a, to me, kind of a, a doctrinal section we're getting ready to get introduced into an exhortation section where he's going to admonish them and strongly encourage them. Um, but uh, when he says to them, hold fast, we're going to talk about that in just a second. Nate? I think as, as we look through all this and, and consider why is, why is Paul writing this, you know, he's writing this to Christians, ones that have already been taught the gospel, that accepted it. And one of the criteria of, of, of becoming a child of God, and, and that is believing who he is, right? And a lot of that w was taught through the scriptures, and, and a lot of the teachings were the, the, the law and the prophets to show and prove that Christ fulfilled those prophecies. And that was no doubt in my mind is a lot of the teachings that were probably taught um, to people um, to lead, leading them to, to, to become who they were now. And I think, you know, and then considering where they're at, and like you mentioned earlier, some of them might have in the back of their mind things that they're battling, but there's also that pressure coming from a component, a, a opponents of Christ, too, that's trying to bring in and mix in stuff, too. So I, I think part of this is, is Paul trying to strengthen them, but to also to remind them, you know, what they all have already been taught and what they already know, but going back to like, like Moses, it's like Leanne said, Moses was everything that the Jews knew, right? I mean, for, for a long, long time, it was all about Moses and the law. And so then coming in and, and reminding them uh, of Christ's position, I think getting down to verse 6, what you was just alluding to, is, you know, just something that, that Jews were very familiar with in the aspect of the aspect of the father and the son, Right, you know, when it comes to the family, the hierarchy, for one, and the what comes from within being in that family. And we even go back to the time of, of Abraham, and when something happened to a member of the family, Abraham was the protector. He was the keeper of the family, the protector of the family. The, anybody within that family was underneath that shield of protection and, and being cared for. And so I think the idea of the you know, the son aspect here is, you know, when, when that, that responsibility is passed down from the father to the son, those who are in that family of the son or in that underneath that son's protection, the guidance, the leadership, all of that. And I, I think part of that maybe that Paul is trying to get at here is, is remember that the aspect of the, the father and the son relationship and, and as the charges are passed down to the son, you're still underneath that protection. You know, all the protection and thought that you were un underneath 
under God through the law, you're underneath even a better protection now because it's passed down to the son, not just the, a servant, but the son of that father, and you get all of the benefits that come with that. Good point. Appreciate it. Any other comments or questions? It's a latter part of when we, when we see this, and, and, and before I before I move into this this next this comment I want to make here with regard to uh, chapter verse six, uh, along Nate's comment, I think when we see you know verse four, every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God, and I think we can see here that he's trying to bring out the fact that you know while Moses you know. Moses was, he followed God's word, he, he followed his commands, uh, but at the same time, we also see, I think, that, you know, it brings out a point here that, you know, God, but Jesus is, is deity, and Moses was faithful in all of his house as his servant, testimony of those things which will be spoken of later, but Christ was faithful as a son over his house, whose house we are if we hold fast our confidence and boast of our hope until firm to the end. So when he talks about holding fast, you think about holding fast to something. If you were in a situation where it meant life or death, just think about that for a second. If you were in a situation and it meant life or death and you were trying to do everything in your power to survive or to live, would that be important? Or it would just be like, huh, you know, looks like I'm going to die here. I'm in a bad spot. I mean, I think we think about, and I think what he's trying to bring out and, and what I'm trying to convey here with this particular, these two words, hold fast. Hold fast with confidence. Why would there be any need to hold fast if this is a farce, if this isn't true? What would be the point of this writer bringing that out? Hold fast. Grab onto it for dear life, for all you're made of. Don't let this slip through your hands. Don't let go of this. With confidence, your hope firm to the end is what he says here in, in the end of verse 6. Now what we're going to do, and, and I think when we, when we see this, um, and I'm going to just kind of put this up here to, just for your, just to kind of see how I, how I tied this up. Um, when we think about Christ being superior to Moses, on, the, on, on my left side there, Moses, a servant, was in the Lord's house, as it, as it brings out here in chapter, in chapter 3. Christ who was the son, again, as, as, talk, as, as Nate brought out, as Christ the son was over his own house. I mean, think, think about just that scenario when you, when you take that picture and see that, how Christ would be. Moses was a servant in God's house where Christ is a son over his own house. So next section I think he's going to get into, and this is where he turns this into um, some admonishment. He turns it into some strong take heed as to why, why should we hold fast? Because what's the next word in verse 7? Therefore, again, therefore, 
So just as it was brought out just, you know, just a, a minute ago when we think about that, you know, for that reason, for because of that, on, that, on these grounds, I want you to hear what I have to say to you. And I think it's important that we see that and we recognize that. We see that. These people, it was important for him to convey that to them. He says, therefore, just as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not hearken your hearts, do not harden your hearts as when they provoked me, as in the day of trial in the wilderness, where your fathers tried, tried me by testing me and saw my works for 40 years. I'm going to stop right there at verse 9. So what we see here is, and we look at this quotation from, from Psalms 95, and I'm going to actually just flip there. You don't have to follow me there. But it says in verse 7, For he's our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Today, if you would hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as at Mirabah, as in the day of Massa and in the wilderness. When your fathers tested me, they tried me, Though they had seen my work, though they had seen what I could do, what I was capable of, what God could do for them, but what did they do? They still rebelled. They still disobeyed him. I think it's important for, we, for, us, to, for us to realize here, you know, and I'm, I'm kind of bringing that part out here where they had hardened their hearts. And, they, and, and, and I'm not quite down to, to that next section, but... Why did they harden their hearts? Unbelief. Unbelief. That's right. Unbelief. They could see, again, as we just read from, from, the, from the writer of Psalm, the book of Psalms. You know, they could see what I was capable of. They could see the things that I was doing. But they still rejected that. Their forefathers had to, had to wander, again, had to wander in the wilderness. I think it's important also for us to understand and, and, and kind of depict the word in, uh, in verse 7, the word today. He says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Today. When you think of the word today, what's that mean to you? Don't put it off. Okay, I heard something else over here. Right now, right now. do you sit, if 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 you if somebody says to you, "I need you to do this today," does that mean a week from now? Does that mean next couple of days? Just uh, whenever you can get to it. I mean, we hear that, and we and we, and we may recognize that. But I think the comments that I've heard from all of you are spot on when it comes to thinking of today. The urgency, because, you know, it's right at 5 after 10. I don't know that we'll finish this class before the Lord comes back. I mean, we think about the urgency of that. You know, when David or Leland extend an invitation, and they, you know, I think of the song that, that hammers home to me a lot, and that is, why not now? 
Do you, do you hear a sense of urgency in that sentence? Why not now? It's asking you that question. Why not right now? And that's what I think he's trying to say to these, these listeners, to these Christians. Today, right now, it's important that you understand that you need to hear his voice. Hear it or hear it. There's a difference in that. And I think we need to recognize that as well. And the same for us. When we, you know, what, what is it about Hebrews that we read right now? Again, and, and I'm, I'm trying to convey that for us as well, why I feel like he's trying to convey that to these Jewish Christians, the things that he's trying to, make, to, you know, to, to get across to them and to move them and make it impactful, make it such that they're going to recognize that, oh, you know, what he's saying is absolutely true. We need to hearken his voice. Do it now. Then he says, just like their forefathers who had wandered in the wilderness because they hardened their hearts, they could fall short of their promised inheritance if they rebelled. You know, I think, you know, and I'm, and I'm not sure, this doesn't actually just come out, but I'm going to turn here for just a second to see, uh, to, to kind of, as, as we get, start getting close to, to wrapping up this chapter, I want us to think about, you know, Think about Exodus 17. What do you know about Exodus 17? They wanted, they were, they were disgruntled. They, gr they were grumbling. They were brought out of Egypt. All the things, oh, woe is me. And I think when I, you know, in, in, in thinking about that, you know, they, they want, there was no water. They were constantly testing God. Um, Let me, let me just go over here for just a second. And I'm going to read a couple of verses here just to, where I feel like maybe this writer is trying to bring out some things along this line. Um, you know, in the, in the first part of this, the Lord said to Moses, and again, I'm in Exodus 17, verses, starting at verse, verse uh Yet let me go to verse 3. The people thirsted there for water, and they grumbled against Moses. Why now? Why now have you brought us up from Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? Then I want to jump down. The Lord said to Moses, pass before the people and take with you some of the elders of Israel and take your hand, your staff, which you struck the Nile, and go. And I, and I, and I think when we, when we see this, you know, again, I'm not... So, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't give me a quote, doesn't give me something to refer back here, but I think along this particular situation and this back in the old law, I think that here is a situation where they were testing God. They didn't have, and they saw what he could do. They saw what he had, had been able to do all the way, even up to this point, but they still grumbled. They still were not content. And so I think, again, this is where, you know, we, we recognize that they went astray. They didn't make it to the promised land. You know, and I think when I, th when I, when I view this and I just think about it, uh, I'm going to go over to Numbers and look at Numbers chapter 14. And again, I'm going to just go to verse 22, 23, 24, this area here. 
Numbers 14, surely all the men who have seen my glory and my signs, which I performed in Egypt in the wilderness, yet, again, think about this, what God says, yet have put me to the test 10 times, these 10 times, and have not listened to my voice shall by no means see the land which I swore to their fathers, nor shall any of those who spurn me see it. Would this be fresh, thinking about what I just read, would this be fresh in the listeners' minds? Would they have been aware, or, or is this Greek language to them? Yeah, they knew. They knew what he was talking about. It was crystal clear. It was plain. And again, as you see him build on this particular situation and build upon the fact that their fathers, their forefathers had disregarded God, rebelled against him, and in light of that, didn't inherit. You know, we think about Joshua and Caleb. We think about those that say, yeah, we can take the land and the things that they were, you know, in, in the way that they serve God. But yet, what, what do we see with the majority of those people? They died in the wilderness. Um, so I think as, as, we, as we get down here and look at verses 10 and 11. Therefore, I was angry with this generation and said always, who, who, that they always go astray in their heart. They did not know my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. And then what's this section we come up to here? They shall not enter my rest. So he brings forth, I think, here some beware. Beware of evil. Beware of an, of an unbelieving heart. What's he say in verse 12? He says, Take care, brethren, that there be not any among you of an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from God. Beware. Verse 12, beware. He says in verse 13, exhort one another, but encourage one another day after day, as long as it's still called, here's that word again, today. Do it now. Be of that mind, so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we've come, become partakers of Christ if we hold fast. Again, there's that word, hold fast. And I'm reading from the New American Standard Bible. Hold fast, the beginning of our assurance, firm to the end. And then what's he going to do? He's going to go back again here to Psalms chapter 95, verse 7. If you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. When they provoke me, you know, when you, we've heard this before, and this is not new, but when someone is continually, repetitively saying things, do you think that's like trying to send it home? Like, be, this is important, and that's why I think you know he's saying this to them. So, again, hold fast to the beginning of our confidence in verse fourteen, and he says, "Hear his voice," in verse fifteen. Hear his voice. Today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts as when they provoked me. So then, I think when we, as, as we move on here, those in Israel, we see that in verses 16 through 19. For who provoked him when they heard? Indeed, did not all those who came out of Egypt? Who's he talking about? He's talking about the children of Israel. He's talking about those who he had, was going to give that promised land. And, and with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned? 
those bodies who fell in the wilderness. You know, think about, again, the picture he's trying to paint with them to see where these forefathers, how they rejected God. And then it says here, as, as, and I think, it says why? And, I, and I'm asking, and I'm kind of asking this question. They didn't enter into rest, no promised land. Then I'm asking you, 17 through 19, why? Why did that happen? Nate? Part of me thinks, you know, I look back and whether it's within my own life and especially as you went back there to Exodus, I, th I think, you know, part of the answer to why and, and why rejecting this, these, these gifts being given to them, one is, is the aspect of change. One, I think people in general, most people don't like change. But then two, there's also the, the lifestyle comfortability aspect of it. And especially looking back at the children of Israel, the lifestyle they had in, in, in Egypt, although very tough and they, you know, they definitely paid for it, you hear about it whenever they come out into the wilderness. Oh, we had all of this, we had all of that, let us go back to that. Although what they were getting was far much better and required, actually required less, they were so accustomed to that lifestyle and so against change to where I think that's part of the reason for that, and I think that can get to us as well. Is why at times we reject it, and even even here in, in in as a Hebrew writer is is referring to these these Christians here. You know, they were used to a certain lifestyle underneath the law of Moses, and that change, although they accepted Christ, that change was still hard to take place, and it can be with us too. But looking at the aspect of what's greater. What is, what, what is being offered to us, although it's far much more greater, and in actuality requires a lot less of us, sometimes because we're so ingrained in that lifestyle and, and resistant to change, that can be a reason why we don't. Appreciate it. Carrie? Sorry, Carrie, back in back camp. These people had experienced God's deliverance from their physical bondage, but yet they did not believe. Because when you look at verses 18 and 19, there is a definite connection between disobedience and unbelief. Absolutely. Meaning unbelief is the core foundation, if you will, or the, the cause of disobedience. So even though these people had seen God's uh, deliverance, experienced God's deliverance, seen his power, they lacked unbelief. And so in, in my mind, that's a lesson for us that we have experienced God's deliverance spiritually. But going back to verse 6, that, that big word, if, showing the conditional nature of salvation, we too, just like them, can be in danger of falling away. It is not, you know, just because we're baptized doesn't mean we're guaranteed. That's right. So we've got to watch our own hearts that we don't have that, that seed of unbelief that will generate disobedience. Appreciate that. Absolutely. And that's actually part of the, the ending part of chapter 3 that I had here. Again, looking at why, because verse 17, it tells, it tells us that they sinned because of sin. Um, 
that uh, verse, and, I, and I, then I think if we look at disobedience, and, and, and as long as we're, as Carrie talked about in verse in, in verse uh, 18, uh, they were disobedient, and then they were not able to enter the rest again. Verse 19, because of their unbelief. Um, you know, I think as, as we wrap it up here, and it's, it's, that, it's that time, you know, Christ is God's son. His, he, his heir, his superior, superior to anything else, um, hardening their hearts toward his son would be the same as departing from the living God. The Hebrew, the Hebrew writer stresses that they should encourage one another daily, exhort, strengthen, and encourage one another. So they may continue steadfastly in Christ's teaching. The Israelites did not put their trust in God, so they died in the wilderness without obtaining God's promise of rest, again, due to their unbelief. Their disobedience, their lack of confidence in God was a product of their unbelief. So thank you for your time this morning, your attention, and uh, look at chapter 4 next week. <laughs>